Blue Wire. What's up, everybody? This is Kyle. You all know that by now, I hope. This is another episode of The New Slant. We are recording in the moments after the Sixers just beat the Boston Celtics to open their season, 107-93. I am currently in the middle of listening to all the quotes from tonight. I think Seamus is trying to recover his voice after being in the stands tonight. Seamus, how you doing? Good. I I wanted to make a cup of tea when I came home, but I was too tired to do so, and I regret doing it already. Well, I appreciate you soldiering through. I'm uh, absolutely. I'm used to being up at these hours, but you have like a a normal person life. So yeah, I'll be up in a good five and a half hours, so it's all good. No excuses. Sheamus is here playing like a champion. So absolutely. I don't know if the Sixers played like champions tonight, certainly not on the offensive end, but I think anytime you can go out on opening night and shoot like absolute crap and then still get a double-digit win where your best player doesn't have to play almost the entire fourth quarter, I think that that says a lot about where they're at right now. I don't know if that's if you feel the same way, Seamus, but I think that's as many issues as they had offensively tonight, I think that was a, a really good win for them. I mean, they shot 43% from the field and 24% from 31 by 14. When has that ever happened during the Brett Brown era or the Joel Embiid slash Ben Simmons era? They've never played this poorly and won this well. And it's due chiefly because of how well they played defensively. Yeah, I, I think it really started to crystallize for me tonight just how scary this team can be on defense. Because like when, when they're in the preseason... And you see them beating up on a team from the CBA. They beat up on the Charlotte Hornets, who might as well be in the CBA this year. We're not really learning a whole lot about the rotation and how they're going to look. But when they're up against the Boston Celtics team, that maybe they're not going to be a real contender this year, but they're definitely like a solid Eastern Conference playoff team, you get to see what they really look like. And I think when you see guys like Ben Simmons – and Josh Richardson flying around, switching on to different guys. When you see Al Horford holding up well, when he's got to guard a point guard or get switched onto a wing, which obviously was a big concern coming into the year, I think that quiets a lot of concerns about how this is all going to work. And look, Brett Brown said this was a team that's going to be just a bully ball style team. And I think that is absolutely what we saw tonight. Yeah, even when Embiid isn't a star offensively, he's still impactingly impacting the game defensively where he shot what was it five for 14 or so only had you know 15 and 13 on the offensive end of the court and still somehow was still as always the most impactful player on the court yeah just being out there is enough because now like it used to be if Joel would get switched on to a smaller player whether that's Kemba Walker Jason Tatum whoever you want to to say in in a pick and roll situation if he were to get beat, there's nobody waiting back there. That's just a free shot to the rim. Now, tonight, Al Horford is the guy who would get a lot of those switches. And if anybody got past Horford, which it didn't happen a whole heck of a lot, Joel Embiid is there waiting. And that is, I mean, that's a terrifying sight to to stare down if you're an opposing guard. it's You feel great about getting past the first big. And then the second layer is there, and it's it's an even better defensive monster at the rim. And it's... You, they got to be thinking to themselves, like, what did I do to get myself in this situation? 
Horford changes everything defensively from whether it's when Embiid's off the court, he can be on the court, whether he's a second level of rim protection beyond Embiid when he gets switched onto a perimeter player. As much as Joel Embiid is obviously the best defensive player in this team and maybe the most impactful defensive player in the entire NBA, Horford is the reason why they can be so dominant consistently, I think, especially as tonight showed. Yeah, and to to really illustrate that point, you look at the fourth quarter, Joel Embiid goes out with his fifth foul pretty early in that quarter, and you're thinking, all right, how are they going to get by here? How are they going to buy minutes until Joel comes back? And in the past, that means you're having to turn things over to Boban Marjanovic, who clearly had his issues containing certain pl- offensive players. You're turning to a Jonah Bolden and Amir Johnson, all, like all bad options regardless of, of where they were turning. In this case, they go to Al Horford. He picks up his fifth foul. And then Kyle O'Quinn comes in and gives you bridge minutes where he did a great job. I, and Joel never has to come back in the game. I think that that is so key for them. They got this victory, and it was never really in doubt down the stretch and they didn't have to force Joel back into the game. They get him that extra rest. And if you want to talk about how they're going to get a healthy Joel Embiid in May and possibly June, the games like that and performances like that are exactly how you do it. Yeah, how many games have they lost over the last three seasons because things turned to shit once Joel Embiid went on the sideline? Not only do they have Horford, as we mentioned, but again, it sounds like a complete overreaction, but I think it's true. If they have Kylo Quinn on the team last year in the playoffs— they probably make the NBA Finals. Again, sounds unreasonable, but it's true. They just have, haven't have had a guy like that behind Joel in forever, or never really. And not only did they have one in Horford, who was, again, previously Embiid's biggest kryptonite whenever they played Boston, they have a guy in Kylo Quinn who can do a little bit of everything that you would want out of a center, and he's the third guy off the bench as a big man. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we've probably talked about the bigs enough. The guy who really was the the star of that game was Ben Simmons. He's their leading scorer on the night, not something you come into the game expecting, even with how the team is structured. He didn't take any three-point shots to the disappointment of, I'm sure, a few people out there. And I don't know if you thought this, Seamus, watching from your seat in the stands, but the impression I got from where I was sitting is that Ben Simmons came in and he wasn't going to get punked by this Boston team. I think part of the problem has not just been how Boston has guarded him, but he's let himself get taken mentally out of games. Like eventually the way they defend him wears on him and he, he lets them beat him internally without having to do a whole lot. And he took it to them tonight. He played physically, he played fast. And that's the way that when Ben Simmons is rolling, that's how he always plays, but we don't always see it against opponents like this. Yeah, I'm in the first row of the mezzanine, which is obviously no big deal to me. But I think that something <laughs> that's plagued Simmons over, again, the last two or three years is that whenever he's played the Celtics, Brad Stevens has coached him as best as anyone could across the entire NBA. And it seemed like tonight, whether it's the you know, the way Al Horford isn't there and that changes everything defensively or just everything isn't as cohesive in the first game of the year. His aggressiveness stood out to me a ton in that he hasn't really had that against Boston previously. There's the infamously two years ago in the playoffs, he had a scoreless game, I believe, in the 2018 Eastern Conference semifinals. That wasn't the Ben we saw tonight. He was aggressive. He was taking the floor. He was here as a passer, but 
might have had what six or seven assists, but he still had twenty something points. He actually had I, nine, so you're underselling him a little bit. Underselling it. Well, it was in the sense that he wasn't passive. If he's having Absolutely twenty point yeah, that's that's even improves my argument in the sense that he did not seem passive at all, whether he's at times throughout his Sixers career, he seemed willing to defer, defer, defer without actually taking it to the rim. I know that can kind of sometimes come off as an old man take. We're like, why don't you just dunk it every time down the court? That's not realistic. That's not how the NBA works. But Ben was fantastic offensively tonight as creating his own shot. And even though that's not necessarily creating a three-point shot or a jump shot, he was great at taking the ball to the hole and in transition. I absolutely agree with you, Seamus. A lot of times you see those gaudy assist numbers he puts up and – some of it's in the years past it's it's hey he he got to play with JJ Redick where he he's kicking it out and and JJ's going to make those shots regardless of who's passing him the ball and those assist numbers sometimes were a reflection of of playing passively but this was this was the best of Ben Simmons tonight I thought he was excellent on both sides of the ball I thought defensively he was one of the guys who who set the tone for this game. And even though I thought Embiid actually had a, a pretty poor first half on both ends, I don't think he was that great on the defensive end. And I think the reason they were able to get by is because Ben and Josh Richardson specifically led the charge there and, and made sure that this game didn't get out of hand despite the fact that they, they couldn't hit water from the ocean. I was nervous we were overstating whether we being either the two of us or the Sixers community at large was overstating the kind of impact Richardson could have had as an on-ball defender. Again, since we've lost, or the Sixers have lost Robert Covington as an on-ball defender, they've struggled to defend those opposing point guards. Now, Jimmy Butler played that role a little bit in the playoffs and down the stretch last season, but he wasn't consistent in the slightest defensively, the way Robert Covington was as an on-ball defender. And tonight was a real test because Kemba Walker is a guy that after the Covington slash Sharage slash Butler trade last year is the exact type of player that gave the Sixers fits defensively. And we have a guy like Richardson who, again, he was, I guess you would consider him a small forward if you had to put him in a positional, you know, name or something along in those box. lines. In a in box, something. yeah. That he did as well as you could expect it. And then when you add in the depth they have between... Matisse and then Ben giving a couple of reps there and whomever else is coming off the bench for the team, they actually have a formula this year that they haven't had for the last year and a half that showcases that they can actually stop opposing point guards and opposing shot creators now in the season and you're hoping that when it gets to the playoff time and that's when the Sixers really struggled defensively last year was against guys who create their own shot in the postseason, the opportunity is there to stop them. Yeah, so we're going to circle back on Richardson in just a second. I'm with you there, Seamus, and we're going to kick it to our sponsors real quick, and we'll be right back. Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. Now, if you're going to a wedding or any of these big get-togethers, you want to have a suit that fits well. You don't want to be the guy looking like he was just drafted in the lottery of the 2003 NBA draft. You want to look, You want to look good. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that they are affordable. Almost all of their clothing is under $400. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and designed your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, 
or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code Blue Wire. For $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more, an incredible deal made to measure men's clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. And I'm here to tell you about the Axios newsletter, which, great newsletter. Seamus, you know a little bit about newsletters. You're a little bit more than I do. But Axios, the pitch behind their newsletter is it's it's time-consuming and it's hard to follow everything in sports that's happening in 2019 there's all these apps websites you're still dealing with tv radio it's it's hard to keep track of it all and that's why i subscribe to axios sports the best free daily newsletter in the land axios sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox and when you sign up for free at sports.axios.com you'll get the best stories from the nba and nfl and then you're getting stuff like cricket ping pong anything you could imagine i don't there's maybe cornhole i don't know how much they're throwing in there it's just they're they're bringing it all to you every day they highlight the most important stats and trends and they give you the ability to sound like you know what you're talking about when you're talking with your friends it's super simple to sign up and it's free at sports.axios.com not only will you be caught up You'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies, and you can join 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. Best of all, no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. It's free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. And again, try for free 99 at sports.axios.com. Now we're back to talk a little bit about Josh Richardson, who I think he won the fans over. That's one of the quickest I've ever seen a guy just become a Philly dude. That the, He blocks Gordon Hayward. I want to say it's like two or three minutes into the game. Hayward fouls him as he's corralling the the deflection there, and he is just so pumped up and plays it up to the crowd. And it was right then that I knew that Josh Richardson is going to have a uh, a fruitful career in Philadelphia as long as he's here. If Tobias Harris is already entrenching himself as the likely scapegoat of the 2026ers, Richardson is just as much entrenching himself as the newest fan favorite in Philadelphia, I believe. I, I think it's, that's pretty clear. I, he didn't have... If you just go by his efficiency from the field, he didn't have a great offensive night. But I thought what he did tonight was was really, really important. There are a lot of times when the offense was stagnating and nobody could really decide what they wanted to do. And oftentimes when it got to that point late in the clock, the ball ends up swinging to Richardson. And he was pretty aggressive getting, to the, getting into the paint, attacking closeouts. He shot nine free throws. I, I thought that was... That's a number that really reflects the way he played tonight. He was going right into guys' chess. Boston guys were in foul trouble. I guess everybody was in foul trouble tonight. What a slog that game was at times. But, yeah, that was that's about as impressive as a debut as I, I could have expected for Richardson, I think. Yeah, I think you nailed it in terms of his aggressiveness. 
And this isn't necessarily backed up statistically, but what we've seen over the course of the Brett Brown era is that late in the shot clock, it seems like there is a sense of playing hot potato where guys are necessarily scared to shoot the ball, whether they want to pull up, create their own shot, but they don't want to do a quick three. I think that's hampered them at times, especially in the postseason. And having, again, it's just one game, but Josh Richardson out there is certainly someone who is already, can be said, to be a Philly guy and whatever that baggage that comes with that, but it's someone who's not scared to play, not scared to take his own shot, not scared to drive to the paint, not scared to pull up from three. And on a team without any legit, you know, traditional, traditional shot creators in the Jimmy Butler mold, having someone who can at least do that and be counted on to do that is huge. All right. So who are, what's the, uh, the Philly guy power rankings on this current Sixers team? I think Richardson might be the leader in the clubhouse. Well, Mike Scott, Mike Scott Hive. I think he's clearly the, uh, the top guy. Unless we're, if we're, not counting Joel or Ben, I guess, in those things. I feel like to be a Philly guy, you can't actually be the star of the team. So those two guys are automatically out. Does that I, make I think, sense? I think, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes it can happen. Yeah, Joel's like if, beloved here, but he's not necessarily he's he's Joel Embiid. He's not necessarily Joel Embiid Philadelphia. He's Joel Embiid NBA superstar. Right. He's not. He's not the the lunch pail. Like I'm going to chew a bunch of nails. Yeah, type and that's guy not a that, slight against him. It just he's that good not. that it doesn't matter. Yeah, so I guess it, it's Richardson, Scott. I, I think I want to say Thibel plays like a Philly guy, but I don't know if he like he's just too nice. He doesn't have the demeanor, and that's not a slight against him. He's actually just seems like the sweetest kid ever. But on the court, he's a junkyard dog in the very truest Philly guy sense. Yeah, I, I think personality wise, I, I say he's too nice to be a Philly guy, and that's very much a compliment. That kid sure. is, is great. He's very approachable. It always has a smile on his face. But Philly's a little meaner than that. So I think it's – I probably would lean Richardson. I guess, although Mike Scott, since he got in a fight in an Eagles tailgate, that's that's going to be tough to beat. That's that's like a – you watch the good place, Seamus, right? Or Absolutely, you're aware of yeah, it? yeah. So you know how they have the, uh, the scoring where it's all, yeah, yeah. all your actions have – it's like plus 1,000 or, or minus – Two thousand, whatever is it plus, is for plus Philly score. Yeah, I, I like this. That. Is like, I I think the plus Philly score meter broke when Mike Scott got in an Eagles tailgate fight. That was that sealed the deal. If you didn't have a bunch of beers and run your mouth off at an Eagles tailgate again, are you even from Philadelphia? <laughs> All right, we're going a little little off track here, but <laughs> Al Horford, maybe not a Philly guy, was actually in fact a Boston guy before this year but I I think you saw exactly why the Sixers wanted to bring him in there he didn't do anything especially spectacular except for a a really late really late dunk that I'm sure that one's going to get replayed over and over again over the next few days but he did a lot of the the dirty work he he got into it with his former teammates Marcus Smart especially I think that as we discussed at the beginning of the podcast, Seamus, I think the important thing that I saw is that he's going to be able to hold up on a lot of switches. And it really helps that whether it's him or Embiid taking those on, they do still have a safety blanket on the back end. That's got to be just for guys who have predominantly played center and don't necessarily have guys behind them like that all the time that's got to be a freeing feeling to know all right if i'm a little aggressive here it doesn't even necessarily matter 
Yeah, not even being facetious in the way I have been over the course of the last couple episodes of the podcast where I'm saying, oh, you know, Al Horford's a guy Boston fans never respected, blah, 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 blah. He does, realistically, he does all the little things that add up to winning and he doesn't have necessarily impressive plays or impressive statistics, but ultimately he's a phenomenal team player and really a unique player in the NBA in that sense. Yeah, so I'm curious how this is all going to work once they go they go a full game without Embiid and this is the the Al Horford show and the Kyle O'Quinn show I guess we'll get to him in a second I don't know if maybe the offense ends up working better just because they have more of a a modern lineup on the floor than they they did tonight I don't I know think if so. that's going to be the case yeah that's we're certainly in wait and see mode they don't have any early back-to-backs here so it might take a bit for us to to find that out but all the returns so far have been great yeah the Simmons Horford pairing we've talked a little bit about that on an earlier pod I think that is potentially I don't want to say their most dangerous offensive lineup but one that presents a unique aspect of upside for them yeah so all right one last thing before we go we just want to keep this one short we're just kind of freewheeling it here after game one who was your top role player off the bench tonight it has to be matisse right oh i'll play devil's advocate you okay i have to to represent once again for the kyles out here i he was great i think objectively matisse had the best night and he had to fight off a pretty tough start i don't i don't think it's pretty cold offensively yeah matisse was was not prepared for the uh We'll call them theatrics or, or or trickery of a high level offensive player like a Kemba Walker. Obviously, it's it's tough to ask a kid coming out of college to to be prepared for that. But the fact that Brett Brown trusted him to take that assignment of Kemba Walker was awesome. But I have to say, Kyle O'Quinn coming in after not playing for three and a half quarters, immediately hitting a three, then drawing a foul, then getting a layup in three minutes of action. I mean, that is the quintessential role player moment there. Like you cannot ask for more for a guy who's there cold the entire night. I just, I thought that was sensational. Obviously Thibel had the bigger impact, but, but those are the kind of contributions they need that they're not always going to need with this starting five, uh, a big night from guys. They just need them to do just enough to get it over the line. Get strong Philly guy vibes from Kylo Quinn. He definitely has the beard to suit. He has the Philly beard, trademarked. I will say, man, Kylo Quinn is a, a real interesting guy. It's it's hard for me. How would you describe him as a person, as someone who's been there, as opposed to me, who only knows him from afar? He I, He's a nice guy. He's approachable. And there are moments where I can't tell if he's messing with people. Someone will ask him a question, and he'll answer very seriously. But he's it's total stone face. And he, but he's a very upbeat guy, so it's it's hard to tell whether he's doing that as a bit or if that's just kind of his demeanor and how he handles it. It's it's hard to even describe unless you're around him all the time. This is not I'm not at all disparaging him. I think he's a he's a good piece of that locker room, and he's a very competitive guy. We saw him in training camp spike some balls and, and curse and and lose a little bit when he would lose just in drills, not even in, in scrimmages. So. I think you certainly saw that reflected in the level of preparation to be ready for that kind of moment. That's not an easy thing to ask a guy to do. 
Yeah, I think that was something that's going to, unfortunately for him, be asked of him frequently throughout the season where Brett Brown might enter a game thinking, hey, I'm going to play Joel X amount of minutes tonight. I'm going to play Al X amount of, min- X amount of minutes at center while Joel, Joel sits. And then there could be a situation where both of them have five fouls that we saw essentially tonight. And, hey, Kyle, you are now the team's primary center. Go out there and give us 15 minutes. Yeah, I hope it's not me, Kyle. I hope it's that Kyle. That'd be wild. Can you play a small ball five role? Or what's your well, game comp? I'm only like 6'3". So but 6'3 talking... in pickup is basically a small ball five, correct? In any pickup I play, I, there it's no small ball. There's I don't. There's not a lot of guys that I know that are at least that I'm hooping with. So you no end up. I end you. up getting. I end up getting stuck down on the block, but I don't have the uh, the weight to throw around down there. I'm not exactly a a low post machine. So, but Seamus, it sounds like uh, both of us could probably use some rest. I think you're both our voices at uh, twelve thirty on a, a Wednesday night not necessarily in optimum shape but hopefully there are a lot more wins for us to talk about in the future obviously losses might make it more interesting but thanks for hopping on with me and uh, i'll talk to you soon of course kyle talk to you soon